Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, the last few weeks, if you would be opening up to Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Yes, we're going to pass an offering. You can't have a Baptist service without an offering. Go ahead, Brother C.R. He's going to be passing the offering plate, and if you'd like to put something in there, that would be great. If you're visiting with us, I hope you've received a visitor card. By the time you leave, I really hope you'll be able to put that in the plate in the next hour or give it to me on your way out. We'd love to have a record of your visit, be able to send you something in the mail as a gift of appreciation, and uh, we appreciate you coming to be with us today. Philippians chapter number 3, we're going to read these verses. Again, uh, we've been talking about a relationship with God, and so Philippians chapter number 3, get all set up here, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, we'll begin reading there, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.13 Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we started this lesson with uh, number one. I don't know if we can go back to number one. Um, The foundation of relationship. The foundation of relationship. And that is to know the Lord's person. Before you can get to know the Lord... You need to know what His person is, who the Lord Jesus Christ was. This morning, we sang a song which kind of identifies who Christ was. Hymns should bring you into contact with the truths of Jesus. Now, some spiritual songs don't have all the facts about Christ. They they mention some of them, and there can be songs that are beneficial on both ends. But in this particular song about the story of Jesus, this was written by a woman who was blind by Fanny Crosby. Therefore, everything she knew about Christ was known to her by things that she had heard from the preaching of God's Word. So she says, Tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever heard. Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed His birth, glory to God in the highest, peace and good tidings to earth. It starts with the birth. She knew about the birth of Christ and how the angels came and announced to the shepherds that a Savior had been born. The second verse says, Tell of fasting alone in the desert. Tell of the days that are past. How for our sins He was tempted, yet was triumphant at last. She's talking about the temptation that Christ went through with Satan at the beginning of His ministry, where He was tempted with the the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. And the Lord won through His Word and through His power. Okay, and how he fasted alone. I mean, this is the story of Christ. Tell of the years of his labor. Tell of the sorrow he bore. He was despised and afflicted, homeless, rejected, and poor. Our Lord, his person, we, we need to get to know who he was through the scripture. And of course, you can't get to know the Lord unless you understand what happened at the crucifixion. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. 
Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Great song that we sang this morning. So we need to know his person. We need to know the Lord's power. The Lord has resurrection power. Okay? He can change lives. I remember seeing a picture of my father one time. I didn't recognize my dad. It was a picture of him when he was young. I said, Dad, who is this? The picture looked like somebody who was rough. He had longer hair. I'd never seen my dad with long hair before. He didn't have a shirt on. He was outside. I never knew my dad to be outside without a shirt on. Everything about this picture said, that's not my dad. You know what happened to my dad? Jesus Christ. Changed my dad. The man I saw in that picture looked like he would use curse words. There were beer cans around in the background. I've never seen my dad take a drink. I'd never heard any curse word from my dad. God changed my dad. So I know that the Lord has great power. The Lord has changed me. I want the Lord to change you. If you're not saved today, God can change you. So know the Lord's person, His power, and also to know the Lord's presence. Of course, the Apostle Paul knew what the Lord's presence was. He went through great suffering for him. Number two is the formation of faith. We talked about this with the power or the, uh, the, pros- the promise of resurrection and the process of transformation. This was point number two. This is where we ended last week. The promise of the resurrection. Now listen, we're all going to die. No matter how well you are today, and some of you may die before you think it's your time. Un- uh, uh, untimely deaths take, in- take place all the time. That's why the Bible says, you know, your life is a vapor. It's quick. You, don't, you have no promise of tomorrow. The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So you don't know when you're going to head out into eternity. So when we deal with this promise of resurrection, when we die, the Scripture promises that there is a resurrection. There's the resurrection of life. That's the one you want to be at. You want to be taken up to heaven when you die. There's two resurrections. The resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. John chapter number 5 speaks of this. Now, I am not a preacher who changes the Word of God because it's not palatable to this generation. The Bible says to preach the Word of God, preach it in season and out of season. And right now it's out of season to speak of the resurrection of damnation. If you've gone to any modern funerals, everybody goes to heaven, no matter what they do, no matter how they live, no matter if they've been saved or not. And all I'm trying to do is tell you there is a truth about being a part of the resurrection of life. If you're lost today, God wants you to be saved. He wants you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a promise of resurrection. The resurrection is real. And then there's also the process of transformation. Once we get saved, we have a new birth. God gives us a new life. God will transform our lives. He makes us different. He transforms us. Just that we, we gave an illustration about a young man who go, went into the military. You know, you don't go into the military and come out the same as, as, if you stay. I mean, at the beginning of basic training and the end of basic training, in just a period of, in my case, it was eight weeks, there was a great transformation that took place in my life. I respect all the Marines who went for 13 weeks. I don't, I, I don't envy you. Um, by the time eight weeks was done with my basic training, I was ready to say goodbye to all of my drill sergeants. In fact, I, I, I vowed never to go back to the state of Missouri after I left there. And uh, then the Lord had me live about an hour away from there. So our last point today, point number three, is the fixation of our will. This talks about this relationship with God, the fixation of will. Now, if you have your lesson and you're filling it out, your fill-in is the word will. 
you know, for, from these verses, we see Paul's overwhelming determination to finish strong. His will was fixed on the finish line. He was determined to be faithful to Christ and to finish his race well. Sometimes keeping your eyes on the finish line is very difficult because of all the things that are happening around you. I hope you, like Paul today, can say if you are a Christian that you want to finish your race strong. For those who are not believers, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never been born again or saved, I want you to get saved so that you can take part in this race this race called the Christian race, to where you can finish that race for the Lord strong. It is staggering to see how many Christians are quitting today. It's perhaps a, the greatest heartbreak that a spiritual leader experiences. Many times those who we invest in the most wind up hurting us the most. That's just the way of life. It's the way of ministry. I've been a minister since I was 25 years old. I was ordained on my 25th birthday. And... I have experienced glories of God, seeing people walk down the aisle and get saved by the grace of God. I've seen people get started to live for the Lord and seen transformations in their life and families to start. But I've also seen those who got off on a start in the Christian race and then who fell off by the wayside for sin or whatever, or where the cares of this world began to grab a hold of their heart, the deceitfulness of riches or whatever, and it takes their heart away and then they fall out of this race. Even Paul... The Apostle Paul was concerned himself with being a castaway. There's not one person in this room today who is above falling away from the Lord. Any one of you can fall into sin. Now if you say, nope, not me, guess what you just identified in your life? That you are proud. And what does the Bible say about the proud? That God resists the proud. Now if God's resisting you, let me ask you a question. Who will win? It won't be you. You know, uh, other matters of life sometimes can fill our calendars. And many times Christians break their fellowship with their Christian family. And I, I really hope that, you know, I, I want to say this to you today, friend. Going to church doesn't solve all your problems, but it certainly helps to be the part of a right church. Amen. You know, I, when you come to church, you give God an opportunity to speak to you, to feed you. You know, if there's a pastor preaching from God's Word... He's going to try to build you up and help you and put food on the table where you can grab that spiritual food and grow with that. Being in church is very important. So fixating on our will, on finishing strong, is not a decision that we just make one time. It's a repetitive decision. You've got to make this over and over again. And you see, I don't come to church based on my feelings. This morning I did feel like coming to church. But there's some mornings I didn't feel like it. You know, as a matter of fact, most mornings, if I use an alarm, when the alarm goes off, I don't feel like getting out of bed. <laughs> um, sometimes, like this morning, you know, I set my alarm this morning for 5.45. I was up at 5.15 because I just, I woke up. And then I looked at my clock, and then I, I tried to lay back down for those minutes, and I wasn't going back to sleep. So I just said, you know what, I'm not going to go back to sleep. But there are other mornings when the alarm goes off, and I'm in a deep sleep. And I would like to take a hammer to the alarm. <laughs> you can't base your spiritual life on feelings. You can't, by the way, you can't base your family on feelings. I'm thankful that my wife is not still married to me based on her feelings. I'm sure that sometimes she's wanted to kill me. She has articulated that to me a few times. It is only by the grace of God that I'm still living today. 
You know, have you ever had that? Well, I need to get that shirt that says, I'm sorry for everything that I've ever said when I was hungry. You know, I struggle with my attitude when I'm hungry. I'm thankful for a forgiving wife, but I'm not married because my feelings always said to be married. You know, sometimes your feelings tell you to do something, but it's not what God would have you to do. The Bible tells you what God says to do, and you ought to obey that. And so, first of all, in reference to setting your will like Paul, to fixing your will, to, be, to making a decision in your life, considering the Apostle Paul, he recognized his position, letter A. He recognized his position. You're filling as the word position. He said, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul was not complacent with the level of spiritual growth he had already reached. Though he would already be considered a great man of God, he wanted to constantly draw nearer to Christ. He wanted to keep growing. I mean, now, do you think you're, you're everything that you need to be in your Christian life right now? Or do you see that there's still a work that God is doing in your life? I hope that you, like Paul, could say, I need to grow. He recognized his position. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. This is a man who had done great things for Christ by this time. You know where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians? He was in prison. And he was still loving Christ. He was writing the scripture for our admonition. And he's saying, I I don't even count myself to have apprehended. The other thing we say in letter B about this topic is that Paul rejected his past. He rejected the past. If you're ever going to do anything for the Lord, you're going to have to get on from what has happened before. If you live your life in the past, you're never going to go on for what the Lord has before you. You know, some people are still bellyaching and moaning about things that happened 30 and 40 years ago. Think about that. Paul says, I'll never apprehend God the way that I'm supposed to if I'm living in the past. Let me, say, let me ask you this. What does talking about the past accomplish in your life? Some people believe it accomplishes something. I mean, but some people really, have you ever uh, met somebody and the statement was made that they'll, they'll beat a dead horse? <laughs> you know, they'll just talk about the same thing over and over again and all I can tell you is that if you don't reject what has happened in your past, you'll never press on to what God has in front of you. Now, consider what Paul had in his past. You realize that Paul was guilty of murder? Paul was holding the coats of people that were stoning a great preacher named Stephen. You, you don't think he ever felt any guilt about that? Is that a clock ticking? I feel like somebody's clicking a gun or something at me. Anyway, I don't know what that is, but that's fine. Nobody, nobody's doing that. Nobody get People are just... <laughs> you know, there's certain things that I cannot handle in church, okay? I'm going to give you a pet peeve, okay? Been in church for a long time, ladies, men. If you take nail clippers out in church and start clipping your nails, I am going to stop and I am going to look at you. Because to me, it sounds like someone's about to take someone else's life. Click and click. If you've got a home, do that at home, okay? We had, a, we, we had a guy in our last church. He's on with the Lord now. And uh, he, he, would, he would do that. He'd just start clicking and clicking. And that something about that sound really grabs a hold of me. And I said, who's clicking? So I'm trying to be kind. You know, if you're clipping your nails, please put your nail clippers away. Help us to, to concentrate during the service. 
and uh, someone had seen the man who was doing it, and his name was Barnes, and they say, <laughs> Billy Barnes, and I got some story about Bill Barnes, no, no relation to Lonnie and Chris that I know of, but uh, they're like, Barnes, were you clipping your nails in church? He's like, no. But he didn't know that the sound guy was taking pictures of him as he was clipping his nails in church. And so apparently Barnes wasn't uh, trying to be honest that day. He was a little embarrassed, but that's okay. All right, the clicking has stopped. I can move on. <laughs> Paul had to reject his past. Now some of us, all of us, have done things in our past that say we regret. And I know that there are many people who have committed great sins in the past and somehow they think, well, I can't serve the Lord because I've messed up before. Or I tried this before and it didn't work. Why get up again and why try again? But I'm here to tell you that the Lord can help you. And Paul rejected his past. He says this in Philippians 3.13, But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Just like Paul, some of us have a past of which we're ashamed. He'd been responsible for persecuting Christians, putting to death innocent people, even putting women in jail. And so... By the world standard, Paul's case would have been a hopeless case. That could have been Paul, but he wisely chose to forget those things that were behind him. If you've got something behind you that you're ashamed of, a lot of you need to stop beating yourself up about what you've done before, and you need to forget about the past and move on to things that are before. You don't accomplish anything by beating yourself up about what's happened behind you. This is equally applicable to the successes of life. We can't live in the victories of past years. Many Christians today are living in yesterday's blessings. They're living on a revival that took place before. They, they, they almost come to the Lord complaining about the lack of revival that's happening now and wanting to relive the glory days of yesterday. We don't live yesterday. We live today. And God still has things to do for us today. And so it's important for us to be looking toward what God is doing in our life. Now, letter C is Paul ran to win the prize. You're filling his prize. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this word press, it takes some effort. If you're going to live a Christian life, it's going to take effort. As a matter of fact, you may deal with some rejection in your family. Some of your families may reject you because you've went to church. Because you carry a Bible or you want to, you want to read the Bible, you're, in, you're inquiring about the Bible. They want you to kind of live the way they do many times. The lost world is offended by a Christian. And, and trust me, the devil does not want you living the way that God would have you to live. But if you press toward that prize, I can guarantee you there's going to be some growth in your life. It takes effort. You know, this week, on a few occasions, I got down and I started trying to do my push-ups. I'm pressing so that I can either lose weight or keep the strength that I have, okay? That pressure can can be very helpful in our lives. That word press, if you look it up, it means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing. Now, I, I am not a runner. But there were times in my life when I had to run up to seven miles when I was in the military. I did not care for the drill sergeants who forced me to do that. And so God helped them. But one of the things that I I could do 
was pick somebody out in front of me and try to keep pace with them. And if you're pressing toward the mark and that mark is Christ, he's never going to outrun you, okay, if you're running, because he's going to keep a distance in front of you where you can keep it. And you're always going to be on the track, okay? Now, I, I understand that some of you may not be in a place in your life where you're exercising currently. And maybe that's the way that, you know, things have uh, happened in your life. Maybe you've aged. This isn't something that you can maybe identify with. But there should have been a time in your life when you can remember maybe in, you know, years before where you were running and pressing towards something. I remember in the military there was one time where I was running on this track and you were not supposed to run on the left side of the track. You were supposed to move over in case somebody wanted to run faster. There was a guy behind me that didn't appreciate the fact that I was running on the inside of the track. And so he came on the inside of me and gave me the shoulder. And uh, he was from Pennsylvania. And uh, you, know, you know what happened? I was greatly motivated to run a little bit faster. And uh, we, we got into a little bit of a, you know, what we would call intense fellowship. And uh, the drill sergeants didn't care for that. And it was the middle of snow. And the drill sergeant said, oh, you guys want to tangle. And so they, they took the next 30 minutes to teach us a lesson that I never forgot. By the time it was over, we were hugging each other. Hey, it's all right, man. We were brothers. But uh, all I could tell you was I was pressing to catch up to him after he gave me the shoulder. Now, the Lord's not going to give you the shoulder, but the Lord will run in front of you. And, and if you're pressing towards that prize, you're going to be growing in the Lord. Paul had a goal in view. He had something that he wanted to run towards swiftly. He wanted to eliminate distractions. That prize was attaining Christ Jesus. It was knowing Christ. Now in the book of Hebrews in the 12th chapter, it says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now think about that. If you're having your eyes on Christ, you'll be able to, to finish the race. How many of you, uh, how many of you uh, have a riding lawnmower? Anybody? Only, only three, four, four people in this, five people, in, six people. You guys are real, yeah, okay, some of you have a riding lawnmower. Now we're getting into it. It's not a trick question, folks. Okay. When you're on a riding lawnmower, have you ever noticed when you turned your lawnmower around that you didn't mow a straight line? Right. You know, it's kind of squiggly lines. I, I put my son Jacob on a lawnmower once, and Jacob's a great kid, but he was mowing figure eights on my lawn. <laughs> I said, Jake, what is this, figure eights? You know, he, he always gets a kick out of that because he, was, he wasn't looking, okay? I, I, I remember watching Little House on the Prairie when I was a kid, and, and one, of the, one of the shows was talking about how as a farmer, if you were going to plow with farm animals, that you would put your eyes on one particular portion of the, the field, and then wherever, if you kept looking there, that's where you were going to be steering your animals and your plow. You know, how many of you have ever tried to teach somebody how to drive? And they took their eyes off one thing and they went the other way. You know, my, my adopted son, Tyvon, I was trying to teach him how to drive. I even had to have my wife, Loretta, try to help him because uh, I didn't have the patience for it. You know, one time he was, uh, he, he was looking to his left to see if anybody was over there and the car started moving right. And I said, ah! <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes if you don't have your eyes in the right place, you can go off the road, you know. A lot of times people have, you know, today, you know, have you ever driven behind somebody and they were playing with their phone when you got up next to them and it looked like they were a drunk driver? Because they're just leaving all over the road because they didn't have their eyes on the road. In, in the Christian life, you've got to put your eyes on Christ. You know how some people fall out of church? 
Well, that person did something. He didn't shake my hand. They said this. I don't like that family. You know where your eyes aren't? They're not on Christ. Your eyes shouldn't be on other people. Your eyes should be on the Lord. Okay? The Lord has never let you down. And you know, you're always going to come across people in church that are going to let you down. You know why? Because people in church are, are, are human beings. They're failures. We, we are not perfect. The church is filled with people who are sinners. Prayerfully, we're sinners saved by grace. You know, I, I pray that we all act that way. But, you know, some people who are falling away from the Lord, they don't have their eyes on the, the, the prize. Now think about what the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 2. It says we're supposed to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it says this, and I want you to consider this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, let's think about the cross for a second. Very cruel way to put somebody to death. Only a depraved human mind would think of putting someone to death by nailing someone to a cross of wood. They put nails through his hands and through his feet. Often people who were crucified would take three days to die, and they would die by suffocation. It was extremely painful. All of your weight was on those nails. People would kind of slump down. If you study crucifixion, they would slump down and they'd have to lift themselves up on that nails and those nails to take a breath. You might remember how Pilate was amazed that Jesus was so soon dead because he was dead the very same day that he was crucified. The Bible says that he endured the cross. He despised the shame. There was great shame that came upon Christ as he was crucified. The Bible says that he didn't hide his face from the spitting. People spat upon him. They stripped his clothes off of him. They hung this man basically naked up in front of his own mother after they had beaten him to a point where he was irrecognizable as a human being. The Bible says in the Old Testament that they plucked the beard from his face. Those of us who have a beard, mine's pretty short today, but I'm sure Jesus had a bit of a longer beard. I've never experienced what it would be like for someone to grab a hold of my beard and literally pull it out of my face. I'm sure that wasn't easy. The Bible says they put a bag over Christ's head and that they were smiting Him with the fist and then telling Him to prophesy to them, if you're the Christ, ha -ha, they, they, they made sport of Him. Many brutal Roman soldiers you know, buffeted Him. The Bible says they took a reed, like a baseball bat, a stick, the sister has a cane back there. I'm sure that's kind of what the cane looked like. They were taking that and they were wailing on the head of our Lord. They took a cat of nine tails. They took a, a, a whip that was interwoven with glass and knives and they delivered it into his back. They tore his back open. Typically those, those, those whips, if you study history, it would wrap all the way around the front of a man. They were tied up from the top. So your skin was taut. And they'd throw that whip and they'd yank that whip away be, so that it would tear your flesh away with the whip. History tells us that Christ was whipped 39 times. His back was, was, was beaten and bloodied. The Bible says that Christ despised the shame. But it says that now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The whole point of that was who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy? If you're saved, you. You 
were the joy that was set before him. You were the reason that Christ came to die. And I like the writer of the song who said, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. We all had a friend in Jesus Christ. No matter where you came from, I personally came from East Detroit, Michigan. That was when I began to come into contact with this man named Jesus Christ who loved me enough to die for me. And I'm still humbled today that the Lord would be willing to go all the way to Calvary for me. Because of that, I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm pressing toward that prize along with Paul. A marathon race is 26.2 miles. It's not for those who have not put any effort into the preparation. An effective marathon runner is trained and is determined to finish the race and successfully cross the finish line. Now, it would be foolish if in the thick of the race a runner was oblivious to the track before him but was instead scanning the crowd of onlookers and waving at his fans. <laughs> how Likewise, how foolish it would be for us to slow down to a light jog the last mile. Of course, if you see that finish line, you want to give it everything you got to get finished. You know, at the conclusion of Paul's life, he could say that he was faithful to the end. Now, if you have your Bible, flip over a few pages to the right to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. 2 Timothy, chapter number 4, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This man, Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, is now nearing the end of his race. I'm almost ready to go. And boy, it's good to be ready to go. I hope you're ready to go today. If you're not ready to go, you're in the right place because before you, you could have been not ready to go when you came into church, but by the time you leave church, you could be ready to go. And so Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. He goes on to say that there was something waiting on him in heaven, in glory. And so, this is the declaration of a man who built well below the baseline to have this relationship with the Lord. He had a solid foundation of a growing relationship with Christ. His faith had taken form and was strengthened over the years of his Christian life, and he had fixed his will on the prize of knowing Christ. It was the most important thing in his life, the Lord. The Lord was the most important thing of his life. And what he said was, at the end, he said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be offered. He was going to be martyred for his faith. Now listen, if I was heading for a guillotine and they were going to cut my head off, <laughs> I'm not sure that I would uh, be as happy as Paul was. But you know, it's just my body. It's my earthly temple. One day this house is going to be empty. This isn't, you know, what you see isn't me, okay? What's inside of me is eternal. God's going to take that portion of me to glory when I'm all done. And Paul was able to say, I'm ready to go. He said, I'm ready to depart. And so, the structure of your life should be built upon this relationship with Jesus. And this foundation is going to determine whether or not you are going to be successful in your Christian life. Now, in the last few minutes of Sunday school, where is your foundation today? If you make your foundation, by the way, you know, music should not be a foundation in your life because music... God wants music to be an added thing to your life for your growth as a Christian. The most important thing you have in your life is God's Word. You can't survive without this. This is the foundation 
of your life. As a matter of fact, sometimes if you're trying to get to, to know God through music, some music is very shallow and it doesn't teach you anything doctrinally about who Christ is, what He wants to do for you. But the Word of God is quick and it's powerful. It builds you. This is the food that we need as God's people. The Bible says that we're supposed to be like a newborn babe desiring the sincere milk of the Word in 2 Peter 2 and verse 2. Over in the book of Hebrews, it talks about there was a time in these Christians' lives where they had lived so many years with Christ, but they needed to go back to the milk of God's Word and not to the strong meat. You know, there's some, there's some uh, nutrition that we get from God's Word. You know, let's say, you know, somebody wants to build a home again. You've got to start with those first truths. You're going to teach somebody how to fly an airplane. Where are they going to start? Well, they're going to have to start with whoever built that airplane. They're going to have to understand all the engineering behind that plane and how all these things work. If you want to understand the Christian life, you're going to go to God's Word. This is our foundation for everything that we believe. So that foundation is very important. Now, if you try to build off of things that are not a part of this foundation, the Word of God, the Bible likens that person to someone who's built upon the sand. And when the winds come and the rains come, that house is going to fall. And the Bible says great will be the fall of it. Now, a couple of things that we can say by way of review from this lesson. First of all, there were three ways that Paul said in this passage that we could get to know the Lord. What three ways to know Christ did Paul give us in point number one? To know His what? Okay, His position was one of those things. Or, yeah, His, his person, His power, and His presence. Okay, when we, when we deal with two or three ways that we can get to know the Lord. What two or three ways could you get to know the Lord better? Could you build on this foundation? Study the Word. Study the Word. Meditate on God's Word. It's very important, by the way. I was listening to somebody who said they were listening to God's Word this week. They were listening to someone else read it. That's very important. Any, any, anybody else? Something that you can do to grow with the Lord. Your, your relationship can grow with the Lord. There's going to be different answers here. There is no wrong answer, I suppose. Through prayer. We get to know the Lord through prayer. Anybody else? Witnessing to other people. Okay, church attendance. You know, absorbing the preaching, the things that are given to us from, from the Word of God. These are ways that our relationship with God can be solidified. Our foundation will be strong. All right, thank you for your attention this morning. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed to go over to the sanctuary. Our Father, we pray your blessings on the teaching of your word. Thank you for those who gathered out this way. I pray, Lord, that our relationship with you would be strong, that we would be growing, that like Paul, we would be pressing toward the mark, that our will would be focused, that our decisions would be clear. Lord, help us to love you the way that we should. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.